The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, we have um, sung truth today. That Lord, you are our one defense, our righteousness. Lord, we're, <laughs> we're a mess. None of us can stand before you um, faultless or blameless on our own. None of us. None of us can stand before you right on our own. You our, are our one defense. We have nothing else. We are beggars. So, Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you would come here, you would suffer and die for us. And God, thank you for not abandoning your son to the grave, but raising him up on the third day. And because of that, accepting his gift for us and calling us righteous, those who follow you. We love you. Thank you. God, speak clearly today. Speak clearly to us through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, real quick, uh, some of you may know uh, that we had a, a baby a couple weeks ago, and he was in the NICU um, for nine days. He came home Thursday night, and so he's back home, so now we've got all four. Yeah, good job baby. Uh, so he's home. Now we've got four at home, uh, which explains why my wife is not here because she's, uh, she's just holding on. She's just holding on for dear life. All right. She's going to make it. But you know, I, I started to think now that I've got four, it, it, I, I was reminded of a, a comedian, Jim Gaffigan, who said if he has four kids and someone asked him, what's, what's having four kids like? And he said, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby, right? Like that's that's pretty much it. And and, and it also reminded me of uh, of a, another comedian, Tom Papa. And I'm not going to try to tell his joke. I'm, I'm actually going to read it to you because it's just too good. And here's what he says about it. He says, I've always thought I was going to have just one kid. Because if you have more than one, you've got to decide which one you like better. That, that's mean, but it's true. Parents always lie about it. Oh, we like you all the same. No, you don't. You love them all, of course, but there's always that one kid. I mean, if he got lost... I mean, you look for him, but not right away, right? Like, and the reality is, I don't have a favorite kid. I'm not lying. I don't have a favorite kid. But, you know, I do have a favorite disciple, and that's what I want to talk about today, and it's Peter. Peter's my favorite disciple. When you look at all of them, he seems like the most, I don't know, he's just kind of crazy, and so I love him. And let me give you some background on Peter. Peter was the first disciple called. Peter was at his in-laws one time, and his mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed her, and then he had to pretend like he was happy about it. And then on the, he was on the Sea of Galilee when the storm came up, and Jesus calmed the storm. When Jesus started walking on water, Peter jumped out of that boat and started walking to Jesus. And yeah, sure, whatever, he sank. But did you see any of the other disciples get out on the, on the water? I don't think so, right? Peter was, a, he was an incredible guy. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus there with Elijah and with Moses. I mean, an incredible, incredible guy. And so when Peter says something, I pay attention. He, he's my favorite disciple. If he's going to say something, I want to know what he's got to say. And I was reading something that's incredibly familiar, probably with a lot of you. If you're a long-time churchgoer, you've heard this verse before. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And something struck me about this verse that hasn't struck me before. And here's what it is. This doesn't sound like someone who, was, who learned this in a lecture. This sounds like someone who's been bitten a few times, right? This sounds like somebody who has been devoured on more than one occasion, and he's trying to warn us. He doesn't want us to suffer. And we're familiar with this, right? When you've been bitten, you don't want other people to get bitten, right? 
Have you ever been at a store, here's confession time, have you ever been at a store and someone's walked up to you and just given you unsolicited advice about the product or thing you're about to purchase? Anybody, anybody that happened to? Anybody in here do that? Are you the person? It's a safe place. Go ahead, raise your hand. It's a safe place. You're absolved. All right, but anyway, like... Yeah, it happens. It's happened to me. Like you, you just been sitting there and, and, and nine times out of 10, is it positive or negative? It's negative. Rarely do people come up to me and say, that movie you're holding, that's a great movie. You need to buy two of them, right? Or hey, that, that TV dinner you're buying, because that's what I eat, that is a great dinner, all right? Like you need to buy eight of those things. Almost always it's incredibly negative, right? Don't buy that movie. It's terrible. Don't suffer through it, right? Don't buy those headphones. They barely work. They're terrible, right? Don't buy those burritos. They should be in the stool softener section. They're terrible, all right? Like you get what I'm saying? Like normally it's something like that. Why? Because we've been bitten and I don't want you to get bitten. And, and Peter's saying the same thing here. He's saying, look, be sober-minded, be watchful. I've been the lion's lunch before, and I don't want you to be it. It is not fun. It is super not cool. And so what I want to look at today, I want to look at three traps that Peter fell into. Three times Peter got bitten. And, and, and I want to call them faith traps. All right? If you have your little notes there, that's the title there, faith traps. And, and here's why I'm calling it that. I'm applying two things. One, it was an attack on his faith. Absolutely, that's what the enemy cares about. right? He wants to wreck your relationship with God. And two, it was a trap. Therefore, what? Traps are avoidable. Right? So this was something that absolutely was avoidable. So I want to look at these three, and they all start in the garden. If you have uh, your Bible, turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your smartphones. We'll think you're texting, but no big deal. All right, look at John chapter 18. There should be some Bibles under your chairs. You can take those with you if you need one. That's our gift to you. All right, let me catch you up. While you turn to John 18, let me catch you up. So the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry are coming to a close, right? They're about to to, close. Climax here with his death and his resurrection. And he's already said some confusing things to Peter and to the disciples. He's talked about, I'm going away. You're going to mourn. You're going to fast, right? But I'm coming back. And, and he's already said, I'll be betrayed. And he's already said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So there's a lot of confusing things going on here for Peter. And Jesus has just eaten the last supper with the disciples. And they're going into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus is in anguish over about what, uh, what's about to happen. And he asks the disciples, to watch and pray and they fell asleep and he wakes them over and over again and finally he wakes them just in time for his arrest and now here comes the first trap look at john 18 look at verse 2 now judas who betrayed him also knew the place that's the garden for jesus often met there with his disciples so judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons skip the verse seven so he jesus asked them again whom do you seek and they said jesus of nazareth jesus answered i told you that i'm he so if you seek me let these men go This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into a sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You've got to love Peter here, all right? Think about from his perspective. They go to the garden. It's just another night. Jesus has said some really weird things, but Jesus always says weird things, right? He always says things that Peter doesn't understand. And so they leave and they go to the garden that they've been to a thousand times. And, they're at, and he asks them to pray like he's asked them to pray a thousand times, but he's tired. And so he starts to drift off and go to sleep. And then he finally wakes up and Jesus says, look, it's time. It's time for me to be delivered into the hands of sinners, right? And all of a sudden there... 
in, in the garden are, are soldiers. You've never seen soldiers in the garden before. And there's a lot of them. And they have weapons, right? They didn't come just to, to drag them away. They came to possibly fight. And not only that, but the person leading the charge, leading them to Jesus is Judas. Somebody you've shared meals with, you've lived with for three years. You've been inseparable with. And now he's betraying Jesus right in front of your eyes. What do you do? You're, you're, you're Peter here. What do you do, right? Some of you, I would hope to say, like, I'd, I'd just be very spiritual, right? And I would turn to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do, right? What did Peter do? Peter took his sword out and he just lopped a dude's ear off, right? He just started swinging and he cut a dude's ear off. Which, by the way, what's the most embarrassing part of the story? Probably that he's used a sword his whole life and all he got was a dude's ear, right? Like, that's... That's your soldier right there, you know what I mean? Like, I'll get you your ear. Well, you're not going to hear so well, right? So anyway, so he lops this dude's ear off. And you might, just say, you might say, like, like, why in the world did he do that? Well, this is our first trap. You ready? Number one, the instinct trap. The instinct trap. What happened? Peter perceived danger, then he took action. He followed his instinct. He followed his emotions. He did what felt right. Did it honor the Lord? Absolutely not. The Lord rebuked him. Jesus immediately rebuked him. He said, put your sword away, right? I like to add, you put your sword away, you, you idiot. Like, what are you doing, all right? Like, no, 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 this is my plan. This is part of God's plan here. Well, what are you doing? So he rebukes him. And why would Peter do this? Like, why in the world would Peter do this? Here's why. It's probably what Peter's always done. Peter, Peter has always by nature been impulsive. Peter's always by nature been hot-headed. And it's his nature to be, to be violent. So the trap for Peter was this. Don't consider what the Lord would have you do, who, by the way, was standing right there. Don't question yourself. Don't doubt your thoughts. Don't examine your feelings. Just do it. Does it feel right? Right? Is that what you feel you need to do? Then just follow your feelings. Just do it. Follow your instinct. And the reason this is a trap is because our old self, the part of us that, that, that was before Jesus was in our lives, it can't be trusted. Romans 7.23 says, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So there's a, there's a power in us that's, that's waging war with us. There's a power in us that's waging a, a war against us trying to follow Jesus that's trying to constantly make us slaves to sin again. That's why our instincts can't be trusted because there's something in us that's trying to devour us. And, and so when I go against the wisdom of God and I just follow my gut, if you will, I just do what feels right, I suffer for it. Why? Because again, that power within me, that old self, the me without Jesus still wants to constantly according to Romans 7, make me a, a prisoner to my old sin, right? And so that's always at war within me. And this trap shows us that our instincts can't be trusted anymore. They can't be trusted. And so we have to willfully submit everything, everything to God, to pleasing God. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's a willful, deliberate decision we make in every area of our lives to, to be obedient to Jesus. So let me ask you a question. What areas of your life do you find yourself falling into the instinct trap over and over again? Just going with your gut, just going with the way you've always done things. What area of your life have you not submitted to pleasing the Lord? Like maybe it's when you're wronged. Maybe that's the most difficult time for you. Maybe in your family. You know, it's my family. I know what's best. Maybe do you have an unhealthy ownership over your career? Is, is it in your finances? Do you just constantly fall victim to your emotions? Do you not doubt your instincts in your life? 
I want to avoid that trap, and I hope you do too, so let's avoid it. So, so when I'm wronged, I won't do what I feel like doing. I'll do what honors the Lord. Is it humble, humbly love them and seek reconciliation? Okay, I'll do that. I don't feel like it, but I'll do that. When I need to make a work decision, my primary concern won't be my pay, my prestige, or my power. It'll be how do I most honor the Lord with this decision. When I love my family, I'll do so following the example of Jesus' love. When I feel strongly about something, I will doubt my feelings and consider them in light of what honors the Lord. You might say, that's incredibly hard. Yeah, it is. That's why Jesus said we have to die daily. We have to crucify ourselves daily. Take up your cross and follow me daily, right? That's incredible. That's incredibly hard. I've never crucified anybody. Anybody in here have? No, please don't raise your hand. Oh, that'd be weird. All right, but anyway, no, I've never done that. But I imagine they're not gonna go willingly. I imagine there's a fight. And so every single day we have to do that and it will be difficult. C.S. Lewis put it pretty plainly talking about this fight to reject our instincts, follow the Lord. He said, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and listening to that other voice, taking the other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. So the first trap is the instinct trap. The second trap, let's, let's find it. So Jesus is taken away and Peter follows him. Look at, look at John 18 again, look at verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door. So the other disciples, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this, this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Skip to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. The second trap here is the fear of man trap. The fear of man trap. What is the fear of man? And here's probably my very imperfect definition. Here it is. When you believe that you need something from man more than you need something from God to be satisfied. That's the fear of man. When you believe that you need something more from man than you need from God to be satisfied. I need the favor of man more than I need the favor of God. I need the approval of man more than I need God. I need the love of man more than I need the love of God. I need the admiration of man more than I need the acceptance of God. You can see that definition in, in Peter falling into this trap. His, he feared the potential disapproval of the crowd. By the way, potential. He feared the potential disapproval of the crowd more than the disapproval of God. He knew it, it, that, that God wouldn't approve of him denying Jesus, but he feared the potential disapproval of the crowd more than the disapproval of God. And we've all been where Peter is, and it absolutely is a trap. Look at the scripture, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We've all feared the dissatisfaction of the disapproval of others or, or desired the approval of others more than of God. I think of own example, uh, my own examples in my own life. In, in my first job I ever worked, um, I, it was at a, an ice cream place. And, and so my manager one night decided that she would shut down the register 10 minutes early. And then everybody that came in and paid for ice cream, guess where their money went? It went in our tip jar. And I was incredibly uncomfortable with that, right? But I was benefiting from it. But I was still incredibly uncomfortable with that. I said nothing. I did nothing. I was asked about it uh, by my boss. I said nothing. Why? 
because I really wanted the approval of those people that were around me, right? We've all done that. Maybe in your workplace, you don't wanna be the outsider that you think maybe God is calling you to be. Maybe you should be taking some great big leap of faith to do something you know God wants you to do, but you're afraid. You're afraid of disapproval. You're afraid of, uh, of getting on somebody's bad side. And the fear of man is a trap because it's bottomless. You're not gonna get out of it. People change, their expectations change, and it's just constantly draining the life out of you. So let's avoid this trap. How do we avoid this trap? God must be bigger to us. That's it. God must be bigger to us. Fear him more. How do I fear him more? To know him is to fear him. Psalm 25, 14 says this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. The more you know him, the more you'll care about him. The more you'll respect him, the more you will fear him, the more he'll matter to you. And if you fear the Lord, who are you gonna be working hard to please now? Are you gonna be a people pleaser? Not mainly, no, because I fear the Lord mainly, right? Richard Baxter wrote about the the fear of man being a trap and, and he said this, remember that men are so selfish that their expectations will be greater than you'll be able to satisfy. They'll not consider those things that might prevent you from giving them what they desire, such as your ministry to others, your job, or your necessary diversionary activities. They want you all to themselves as though you had no one else to care for but them. And then he wrote, if you seek first to please God and are satisfied with that Uh, with that you have but one to please instead of multitudes. And a multitude of masters are harder to please than one. So our first trap is the instinct trap. Our second trap is the fear of man trap. Let's get to our third trap. It happens in a really unlikely place. So Jesus is now crucified. Uh, He's been resurrected. Peter has run to the tomb to see Jesus. Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples three different times. During this third appearance, Jesus and Peter finally have a conversation. Check out John 21. Flip over to John 21. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So in this instance, Jesus has just restored Peter. Peter denied the Lord how many times? Three times. How many times did the Lord have him affirm his love for the Lord? Three times, right? And it wasn't so that Jesus could hear it three times. Like, I heard you deny me three times. I'd like to hear you say, I love you three times. No, no, no. It was for Peter. He was affirming Peter. He was reminding Peter, those three times you denied me, those were lies. That's not who you are. That's not who I've made you to be. You love me. Remember you love me. And not only that, he says, feed my sheep. What does he say? I have a job for you to do. I'm not done with you. I'm not throwing you away. So he's restored Peter. An incredible moment for Peter and in Peter's life. Here comes our trap. Here we go. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus is telling Peter, great, you're gonna die. Someone's gonna lead you to your death. You're not gonna wanna do it, you're gonna die. And then he says, follow me. Here's the trap. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's, gonna, that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, 
Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the third trap that he fell into is the comparison trap. So Peter hears what God has for him. And then he goes, uh, I don't like that so much. What about this dude? What about the guy you love so much, right? What about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus goes, how is that your call? How is that your business? If I want him to be alive till I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. You do what I have for you. Peter was so focused on somebody else's life and somebody else's calling and God's plan for somebody else and comparing himself to that, that he was going to miss out on what God had for him and the blessing that God had for his life. And we do this all the time. We compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to each other physically, right? I know some of you are looking at me, seeing the perfect physical specimen. You're like, oh, if I could just be more like that, right? I get it. It's cool. But anyway, like we compare ourselves physically. We compare each other, our personalities, right? I wish I was more like him. I wish I was more like her. We compare ourselves spiritually. Man, I wish I could pray like that. I mean, I wish I had my faith look like that. I wish I had his story or her story. I wish I could do that. There's one scripture that I want to show you that exposes this comparison trap. It's so ridiculous and so against God's plan for us. Check out Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He knows what he's doing. We're just his instruments. He's made us for his own purposes. He knows what he's doing. I started to think about that, like we are his instruments and how ridiculous it is for us to question how he uses us best. I started to think about like if you're, imagine we have a, a hammer, imagine we have a ruler and they're in the same toolbox and, and, and so the, the, the carpenter reaches in and, and takes the hammer and starts going to work with the hammer, doing what he has to do with the hammer and the ruler's sitting there watching the hammer and he's like, man, that's loud, man, he, look, look at what that hammer's doing, that's powerful, look at how the carpenter's using him, I can't wait till he gets me out there, I can't wait till he starts banging in those nails with me, I can't wait till he does the work he needs to do with me, this is gonna be great. And the carpenter reaches in and gets him out and starts measuring and marks him with a pencil, right? And he's like, "This, well, this isn't making a lot of noise, right? Hey, carpenter, like, hit me against something. Nobody's even paying attention. The hammer made all kinds of noise. Everybody was paying attention then. Like, like, use me like the hammer. That's what you need to be doing, right? Start, start hitting some nails with me, right? Like, like start, start, start knocking stuff around with me. What would happen? It wouldn't work. The ruler would get broken. It'd be ridiculous. It, it wouldn't fulfill its purpose. It would be, it'd be dissatisfied with that work. It would be hurt if it tried to do what the hammer was supposed to do. In the same way, we're just his instruments. He knows what he's doing. He knows better what he's doing with us than we know what we should be doing. And secondly, we're tailor-made for his purposes. Look at, back at that scripture in Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like before there was a before. God made you for the work he's calling you to do now. Do you get that? Like God didn't make you and then go, oh, what have I got here? All right, I've got a John. Why did I make this? Uh, Probably to do, uh, you do this, right? No, no, no. God created you for these good works. He tailor made you for these good works, which means no one else was created to do the work that you're called to do. Now, that doesn't mean if you don't do that work, God won't call someone else to do it. Absolutely, God can call us to fill the gap for other people. However, no one was tailor-made for the work that God's calling you to do other than you. 
You were placed in that family for a reason. You were given that personality for a reason. You were given that amount of influence. You were given that passion. You were given those resources from before time. God made you like that for his purposes. The comparison trap is ridiculous. So these are our three traps, the instinct trap, the fear of man trap, and the comparison trap. Why did Peter fall into these traps? Why do we? I think it's because he ignored one of Jesus' instructions right there in the garden. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 40 through 41, I think we're going to put it up here. Look, follow along with me. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. What did Peter not do? He didn't pray and he didn't watch. Sometimes we don't either. Think about these traps we just named, these three traps. When do you mostly fall into them? At what point in your life are you most uh, 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 vulnerable to these traps? Think about it. When we're not spending time with God, when we're not praying and we're not watching, we're not watchful over our lives and when we're not spending time with God. Think about it, the instinct trap. When I'm not prayed up, I'm not walking according to the spirit, I'm not walking according to his wisdom, I'm walking according to old Grant. I'm walking according to Grant without God. And Grant without God is an idiot. Grant with God, is an idiot, right? But God is gracious. But grant without God is an idiot, right? And so that's when I fall into that instinct trap, the fear of man trap. I haven't paid attention to God, and, but I've paid attention to those around me. So guess what? Guess who I care about more now? Those around me. That's where my focus is, right? And I fall right into that trap and I care more about what they think and I don't think about pleasing the Lord. I think about pleasing those around me. The comparison trap. I don't trust what he's doing in my life because I'm not spending any time with him. And I trust what he's doing in those around me because I can look at their lives and I can pick out the blessings I like and then I can convince myself that God cares about them more than he cares about me. Why? Because I'm not looking at the truth. I'm not spending time with the truth. I'm just looking around creating my own reality, which is what? Lies. Why? We've established this. I'm an idiot, right? So again, these are the times we're most vulnerable. We don't pray. We don't watch. So how is Peter sustained through these traps? He didn't pray. He didn't watch. How is he sustained? Although he fell into three traps, his faith didn't crumble completely. He didn't walk away from the Lord. Why? Because of Jesus' prayer. In Luke 22, 31 through 32, we have Jesus telling Peter that he's going to betray, or he's going to deny him. Here's what he says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. He says, Satan came after you. He wants you. He wants your faith to fail. And Jesus doesn't say, don't worry. I called him off. Don't worry. I sent him away. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He says, don't worry. I prayed for you. He's still coming for you. But I prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. And that's why his faith didn't fail. Through Jesus. How about us? When we fall in these traps over and over again, how can I know that I'm still his? How can I know that I'm still sustained through these? Because Jesus said that no one can snatch us out of his hand. If you're his, you're his. Not because of you, but because of him, because of himself. He sustains us. Just as Peter was sustained through these traps because of Jesus, we're sustained through these traps because of Jesus. But let me ask you another question. Okay, so he's sustained. His faith didn't completely crumble and go away. And our faith won't completely crumble and go away because of what Jesus has done for us. But... How did he get out of the traps? In other words, how did he endure? How did he keep going? What made him get up and keep going? 
Here's how he did. He always did two things. And this is what I love about Peter so much. He always did these two things. He always ran to Jesus and he always obeyed Jesus. Check this out. Example, there, there are examples of this over and over again. Even after falling into traps, he was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go straight to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever he tells me, right? Th- think about it. After he, he cuts the dude's ear off, right? Where does Peter go? Jesus rebukes him. Where does Peter go? He goes and he hides in the corner and cries. No, where does Peter go? With Jesus. Where the other disciples go? Scattered. But Peter and one other disciple followed Jesus. He cut the dude's ear off. He fell into this trap, right? This instinct trap. And then he goes, I don't know what, uh, I'll go to Jesus, right? I'm just going to stay with you, right? Over and over again. We see that. After he denies Jesus and, he's, and Jesus is crucified and Peter's told that Jesus is resurrected three days later, where does Peter go? Straight to Jesus. Straight to the tomb, Right? And you think about it. You think about this. You denied him. Okay, so, so you embarrassed yourself in front of him, cut a dude's ear off. The last words we, that we know of that, Peter, that Jesus spoke to Peter were a rebuke, all right? And then the last time he saw Jesus was after he denied him three times. I'm thinking Jesus is alive again. I don't know if I'd run straight to him. I think I'd feel too ashamed. I think I'd be too afraid. We got a Terminator situation going on. He's back. I don't know if I want that, right? But Peter goes, no, 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 I messed up. But I need to go see him. That's where I need to go. And he goes straight to Jesus. When Jesus appears to the disciples, where is Peter? He's doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. He says, look, when you turned again, you go strengthen your brothers. He's strengthening his brothers. He's with his brothers, right? What we don't see an interaction between Jesus and Peter uh, when Jesus first appears to the disciples or even when he secondly appears to the disciples. But that third time Jesus appears to the disciples, he's on the shore, right? And the disciple that Jesus loved says, you know what, I... I think that's Jesus over there. That's all Peter needed to hear, right? He's disappointed him over and over again, fallen into the comparison trap and, and all these other traps over and over and over again. He hears this Jesus. They're a hundred yards off of shore. Peter jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. He gets to him as fast as he can, as fast as he can. And then when he gets there, Jesus says, look, I want some fish. Who gets it for him? Peter. Run to Jesus, do what he says. I've messed up. Run to Jesus, do what he says. And, and here's the deal. For some of you in this room, that might be you. Remember, remember what you need to do. Run to Jesus and do what he says. Why did Peter do that over and over again? Because here's what, Jesus, here's what Peter said. Jesus uh, had been abandoned by a bunch of followers, and Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Peter's simple faith kept telling him every time he fell down, every time he messed up, run to Jesus. He's the only one who can help you. And that's true. That faith kept telling him, run and do what he says. Run and obey. So how do we endure? You do the same thing. You fall into these traps, you run to Jesus. And you might say, I'm embarrassed. You don't think Peter was? Absolutely Peter was embarrassed. But where else could he go? You might say, I feel ashamed. You don't think Peter was ashamed? Where else could he go? You might feel unworthy. You don't think Peter felt unworthy? But where else could he go? Run to him. And secondly, obey him. Do what he says. You might say, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. You may not know, have all the answers, but you know where to start. You know what to do. You know what what would please the Lord. You may not know the the work decision you need to make, but you do know how to ask him first and not be hasty. You may not know the exact conversation you need to have with someone about Jesus, but you do know the conversations you probably shouldn't be having with people that don't honor Jesus. You may not know how to fix this problem, but you know where to start. Start by honoring the Lord. 
an example of this, I was, uh, I, I, there was somebody that I was really close to, and, and we just had a, a huge falling out. There's all kinds of just problems happened, right? I had no idea how to fix it. I had no idea. I didn't know what would fix it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know any of that. But you know what I did know? I knew one thing. I knew that it honored the Lord to, to be humble and to be loving and to try to, to seek reconciliation. So I did that. I just started at step one. I had no idea what step two through 99 were, but he did. And when I gave him that first step, when I ran and I obeyed, he did the rest. He took care of the rest. So run and obey him. Um, I don't want to fall into these traps. And I don't think you do either. So, so how do we not do that? It's simple. We've already said it. Matthew 26, 41. Remember Jesus' words. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. Pray and watch. Jesus not only told the disciples this, he modeled it in his life over and over and over again. And that's what Peter's saying. Back to the beginning. That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Is there an area of your life that is ignored in prayer? Is there an area of your life that you are not watchful over? Is there an area of your life uh, that you are vulnerable because you're not watchful over? Remembering, there's a roaring lion out there, all right? Remember that. All right? And so if we don't remember our enemy, we can forget he's out there and we become incredibly vulnerable. If we don't remember that our instincts can't be trusted, guess what we do? We follow them by default. And then the lions got us. If we don't remember how prone to the, to the fear of man we are, guess what? We let our guard down and we start pleasing everybody around us. And guess what? The lions got us. If we don't remember how easy it is to be envious of others and what they have, we can fall victim to this and the lions got us. So be watchful, know your weaknesses, pray, seek the Lord for your help. I want to ask one final question as we close, and it's this. Why do we endure? Like, like what's the Lord's purpose of, help, of helping us get back on our feet? Like, why, why would he do that? He restored Peter. Why? Why not just start over? Why not just pick somebody else? Why in the world does he want us to endure? So we can get back to work and help each other. When Jesus was in Luke 22 talking to Simon Peter and telling him, look, you're going to fall and you're going to fail me. Here's, think about what he said. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. that He might sift you like wheat, but I pray for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to this. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What she is saying, after you mess up, after you mess up and you realize it and you run back to me, you get right back to work and you strengthen your brothers and you help your brothers. The history of our sin shouldn't sideline us, but give us more inspiration to serve a gracious God and more ability to encourage one another who are suffering as well. One of my favorite songs is by a group um, called King's Kaleidoscope. The song is called Felix Culpa. And the line is this, my sins are stories of grace to be told. Did you catch that? My sins are stories of grace to be, to be told. I want to be clear. Don't glory in your failures. Glory in what God's done in the middle of your failures. That's what you need to glory in. And the most impactful people in my life, the most impactful experiences I've had with others in my life is people who have not been sidelined by their sin, who've not hidden their failures, but instead have shown their scars and told the story of grace that accompanied those scars. That, that encouraged me more than probably most every other story I've ever heard from other people. It's when they show me the scar and they say, yeah, you won't believe what an idiot I was, but, but you also won't believe how gracious and kind God was to me through this, right? And so don't let your sin sideline you. 
Let it inspire you to serve your gracious God and to tell your story, to encourage one another. Get back to work. So Peter showed us some traps, but more, more importantly, he showed us a pattern worth repeating. Run and obey. Pray and watch. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for letting us be here this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Peter. Um, he is one of my favorites. I hope I don't offend any other disciples, but he is one of my favorites. Um, I love his story. And one of the things that's so admirable about him that I, I wish could be said of me is that when he messed up, he said to himself, where else can I go? And he ran straight to you. And he didn't sit there and twiddle his thumbs and sit there and feel sorry for himself next to you. He ran straight to you and he said, I'll do whatever you say. He didn't just wallow in his guilt or, or sit there and just, just bury himself under his shame. He ran to you and he obeyed you. Please, Lord, don't let my brothers and sisters here sit in these traps. May they get up and run to you fervently and honestly and transparently just run to you. Not pretending like it didn't happen, not pretending like that trap wasn't there, but fully repentant and saying, God, I, I messed up. I need you. Where else can I go? And replacing that rebellion with obedience. And Lord, help us stop falling into these traps. Help us be more prayerful. Help us be watchful. Watching over our lives. Looking at our weaknesses and trusting your strength in those. Looking for your strength in our weaknesses. Make us more like Peter. May we run and obey. Make us more like you. May we be ever prayerful and ever watchful. And Lord, for those in this room who don't know you. They might know a lot about you, but they don't know you. Lord, they fall into traps all the time because they're not living according to your wisdom. You're not, you don't come into the equation. They do what they gotta do. Lord, where they know today that you brought them here today. It's no accident they're here. You brought them here today because you want them. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. That our eternal king would, would see us as objects of desire, would see us as his treasure. But it's true. So that may they know that you want them. No matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done, you want them. And Lord, may they know that they can have you. Everybody with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I'm gonna ask two things. One, uh, my brothers and sisters in here who are in traps and you need help, you need to run, you need to obey. Would you raise your hand? I wanna pray for you. Would you raise your hand? 
I see it. Thank you. I want to ask another group of people to raise their hand. If you need to follow Jesus, like I'm not talking about playing church. I'm not talking about joining our church. I'm not talking about any of that. You need to follow Jesus. You need to give him your life. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I see your hand. For you, with your hand up or maybe not. The scriptures are very clear that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, are you a whoever? Absolutely you are. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So call upon his name right now, wherever you are. Just talk to him. Just tell him, I don't want to live for me anymore. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Save me from myself. The scriptures are clear. If that's the desire of your heart, if you've expressed that to the Lord in whatever way, that's the desire of your heart. Scriptures are clear. You're his now, now and forever. The word tells us that through faith, we're children of God. You're his now. Lord Jesus, as we worship now in song, I pray, Lord, that we would worship freely. That, that Lord, my, my brothers and sisters who are in traps, they would get out of those traps. In this song, right now, in this moment, they would run and obey. Maybe, Lord, you're calling them to, to stand and to sing as loud as they possibly can. Maybe raise their hands. Maybe lay flat on the ground. Maybe come forward and, and kneel here at these steps. I don't know, but Lord... May we be faithful to you in this time. For my new brothers and sisters who just asked you into their life today, who just surrendered their life to you today, give them the courage during this song to step out and to come forward and to talk with me, talk with Brother John, so we can talk to them about what's next, so we can rejoice with them, so we can talk to them about baptism and what it means to follow you and and what's the next step. There's nothing more the enemy would want than to keep those people in their seats. Lord, please don't give them him the victory today. Bind the enemy from this room. Fill them with your courage. So Lord, do what you want to do in this time. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.